seen before. Dear Nitwit, you're back in the wrong mayor. You couldn't find your own arse with both of your hands. Come to the mayor's office. Better yet, meet me out in the cemetery, out by where you live. We'll have a chat. And the other side of the paper, bring a pack of Raleigh cigarettes, some bourbon, and learn how to pack a parachute. Mayor. This doesn't make any sense at all, and this doesn't look like the mayor's handwriting. I'm not quite sure what to do. Uh, I think that's the mayor. We're gonna talk with the mayor. You're listening to 11.30 a.m. Oleander Community Radio. Here's the Community Bulletin Board of what's going on this week. Thank you for listening. Social distancing Oktoberfest continues at Oblivion's Family Fun Irish and German Pub. Hey everyone, welcome to the Oleander Book Club on 1130 AM KZOM. I'm not sure where you're at, but I can't see the sun because of all the smoke. And uh, we've got 24 mile an hour winds at least. And I think I just saw a goat fly past the window. That's a joke. It's not that strong. And also Dave has the goats all tucked away, I'm sure. That's priority one over there. Anyway, here's Scarecrow of Oz, part two. Stay safe, stay clean, don't be a jerk. Enjoy some Chapter Oz. five. The Little Old Man of the Island A few steps brought them to the shed, which was merely a roof of boughs built over a square space, with some branches of trees fastened to the sides to keep off the wind. The front was quite open and faced the sea, and as our friends came nearer they observed a little man with a long pointed beard sitting motionless on a stool and staring thoughtfully out over the water. "'Get out of the way, please,' he called in a fretful voice. "'Can't you see you are obstructing my view?' "'Good morning,' said Cap'n Bill politely. "'It isn't a good morning,' snapped the little man. "'I've seen plenty of mornings better than this. Do you call it a good morning when I'm pestered with such a crowd as you?' Trot was astonished to hear such words from a stranger whom they had greeted quite properly, and Cap'n Bill grew red at the little man's rudeness. But the sailor said in a quiet tone of voice, "'Are you the only one as live on this here island?' "'Your grammar's bad,' was the reply. "'But this is my own exclusive island, and I'll thank you to get off it as soon as possible.' "'We like to do that,' said Trot, and then she and Cap'n Bill turned away and walked down to the shore, 
to see if any other land was in sight. The little man rose and followed them, although both were now too provoked to pay any attention to him. "'Nothing in sight, partner,' reported Captain Bill, shading his eyes with his hand. "'So we'll have to stay here for a time, anyhow. It isn't a bad place, Trot, by any means.' "'That's all you know about it,' broke in the little man. "'The trees are altogether too green, and the rocks are harder than they ought to be. I find the sand very grainy and the water dreadfully wet. Every breeze makes a draft, and the sun shines in the daytime when there's no need of it, and disappears just as soon as it begins to get dark. If you remain here, you'll find the island very unsatisfactory." Trot turned to look at him, and her sweet face was grave and curious. "'I wonder who you are,' she said. "'My name is Pessim,' said he, with an air of pride. "'I'm called the Observer.' "'Oh, what do you observe?' asked the little girl. "'Everything I see.' was the reply in a more surly tone. Then Pessim drew back with a startled exclamation, and looked at some footprints in the sand. "'Why, goodness me!' he cried in distress. "'What's the matter now?' asked Cap'n Bill. "'Someone has pushed the earth in. Don't you see it?' "'It isn't pushed in far enough to hurt anything,' said Trot, examining the footprints. "'Everything hurts that isn't right,' insisted the man. "'If the earth were pushed in a mile, it would be a great calamity, wouldn't it?' "'I suppose so,' admitted the little girl. "'Well, here it is pushed in a full inch. That's a twelfth of a foot, or a little more than a millionth part of a mile. Therefore it is one millionth part of a calamity. Oh, dear, how dreadful!' said Pessim, in a wailing voice. "'Try to forget it, sir,' advised Cap'n Bill soothingly. "'It's beginning to rain. Uh, let's get under your shed and keep dry.' "'Raining? Is it really raining?' asked Pessim, beginning to weep. "'It is,' answered Cap'n Bill, as the drops began to descend. "'And I don't see any way to stop it, although I'm some observer myself.' "'No, we can't stop it, I fear,' said the man. "'Are you very busy just now?' "'I won't be after I get to the shed,' replied the sailor-man. "'Then do me a favor, please,' begged Pessim, walking briskly along behind them, for they were hastening to the shed. "'Depends on what it is,' said Cap'n Bill. "'I wish you would take my umbrella down to the shore and hold it over the poor fishes till it stops raining.' "'I'm afraid they'll get wet,' said Pessim. Trot laughed, but Cap'n Bill thought the little man was poking fun at him, and so he scowled upon Pessim in a way that showed he was angry. They reached the shed before getting very wet, although the rain was now coming down in big drops. The roof of the shed protected them, and while they stood watching the rainstorm, something buzzed in and circled around Pessim's head. At once the observer began beating it away with his hands, crying out, "'A bumblebee! A bumblebee! The queerest bumblebee I ever saw!' Cap'n Bill and Trot both looked at it, 
and the little girl said in surprise, Dear me, it's a wee little ark. That's what it is, sure enough, exclaimed Cap'n Bill. Really, it wasn't much bigger than a big bumblebee, and when it came toward Trot, she allowed it to alight on her shoulder. It's me, all right, said a very small voice in her ear. But I'm in an awful pickle just the same. What? Are you our ark, then? demanded the girl, much amazed. No, I'm my own ark, but I'm the only ark you know, replied the tiny creature. What's happened to you? asked the sailor, putting his head close to Trot's shoulder in order to hear the reply better. Pessim also put his head close, and the ark said, You will remember that when I left you I started to fly over the trees, and just as I got to this side of the forest I saw a bush that was loaded down with the most luscious fruit you can imagine. The fruit was about the size of a gooseberry and of a lovely lavender color. So I swooped down and picked off one in my bill and ate it, and at once I began to grow small. I could feel myself shrinking, shrieking away, and it frightened me terribly, so that I alighted on the ground to think over what was happening. In a few seconds I had shrunk to the size you now see me, but there I remained, getting no smaller indeed but no larger. It is certainly a dreadful affliction. After I had recovered somewhat from the shock, I began to search for you. It is not so easy to find one's way when a creature is so small, but fortunately I spied you here in this shed and came to see you at once." Cap'n Bill and Trot were much astonished at this story, and felt grieved for the poor Ark. But the little man, Pessim, seemed to think it a good joke. He began laughing when he heard the story, and laughed until he choked, after which he lay down on the ground and rolled and laughed again, while the tears of merriment coursed down his wrinkled cheeks. "'Oh, dear! Oh, dear!' he finally gasped, sitting up and wiping his eyes. "'This is too rich!' It is almost too joyful to be true." "'I don't see anything funny about it,' remarked Trot indignantly. "'You would if you had my experience,' said Pessim, getting upon his feet and gradually resuming his solemn and dissatisfied expression of countenance. "'The same thing happened to me.' "'Oh, did it? And how did you happen to come to this island?' asked the girl. I didn't come. The neighbors brought me," replied the little man, with a frown at the recollection. They said I was quarrelsome and fault-finding, and blamed me because I told them all the things that went wrong or never were right, and because I told them how things ought to be. So they brought me here and left me all alone, saying that if I quarreled with myself no one else would be made unhappy. Absurd, wasn't it? Seems to me, said Cap'n Bill, those neighbors did the proper thing. Well, resumed Pessim, when I found myself king of this island, 
I was obliged to live upon the fruits, and I found many fruits growing here that I had never seen before. I tasted several, and found them good and wholesome. But one day I ate a lavender berry, as the Ork did, and immediately I grew so small that I was scarcely two inches high. It was a very unpleasant condition, and like the Ork I became frightened. I could not walk very well, nor very far, for every lump of earth in my way seemed a mountain, every blade of grass a tree, and every grain of sand a rocky boulder. For several days I stumbled around in an agony of fear. Once a tree-toad nearly gobbled me up, and if I ran out from the shelter of the bushes the gulls and the cormorants swooped down upon me. Finally I decided to eat another berry and become nothing at all, since life, to one so small as I was, had become a dreary nightmare. At last I found a small tree that I thought bore the same fruit as that I had eaten. The berry was dark purple instead of light lavender, but otherwise it was quite similar. Being unable to climb the tree, I was obliged to wait underneath it until a sharp breeze arose and shook the limbs so that a berry fell. Instantly I ceased it, and taking a last view of the world, as I then thought, I ate the berry in a twinkling. Then, to my surprise, I began to grow big again until I became my former stature, and so I have remained. Needless to say, I have never eaten again of the lavender fruit, nor do any of the beasts or birds that live upon this island eat it." They had all three listened eagerly to this amazing tale, and when it was finished the Ork exclaimed, "'Do you think, then, that the deep purple berry is the antidote for the lavender one?' "'I'm sure of it,' answered Pessim. "'Then lead me to the tree at once,' begged the Ark. "'For this tiny form I now have terrifies me greatly.' Pessim examined the Ark closely. "'You are ugly enough as you are,' said he. "'Were you any larger, you might be dangerous.' "'Oh, no,' Trot assured him. "'The Ark has been our good friend. Please take us to the tree.' The Pessim consented, although rather reluctantly. He led them to the right, which was the east side of the island, and in a few minutes brought them near to the edge of the grove which faced the shore of the ocean. Here stood a small tree bearing berries of a deep purple color. The fruit looked very enticing, and Cap'n Bill reached up and selected one that seemed especially plump and ripe. The Ork had remained perched upon Trot's shoulder, but now it flew down to the ground. It was so difficult for Cap'n Bill to kneel down with his wooden leg that the little girl took the berry from him and held it close to the Ork's head. "'It's too big to go into my mouth,' said the little creature, looking at the fruit sidewise. "'You'll have to make several mouthfuls of it, I guess,' said Trot, and that is what the Ork did. He pecked at the soft, ripe fruit with his bill, and ate it up very quickly because it was good. Even before he had finished the berry, 
they could see the Ark begin to grow. In a few minutes he had regained his natural size, and was strutting before them, quite delighted with his transformation. "'Well, well, what do you think of me now?' he asked proudly. "'You are very skinny and remarkably ugly,' declared Pessim. "'You are a poor judge of orcs,' was the reply. "'Anyone can see that I'm much handsomer than those dreadful things called birds, which are all fluff and feathers.' "'Their feathers make soft beds,' asserted Pessim. "'And my skin would make excellent drumheads,' retorted the Ork. "'Nevertheless, a plucked bird or a skinned Ork would be of no value to himself, so we needn't brag of our usefulness after we are dead. But for the sake of argument, friend Pessim, I'd like to know what good you would be were you not alive.' "'Never mind that,' said Cap'n Bill. "'He isn't much good as he is.' "'I am king of this island, allow me to say, and you're intruding on my property,' declared the little man, scowling upon them. "'If you don't like me, and I'm sure you don't, for no one else does, why don't you go away and leave me to myself?' "'Well, the Ark can fly, but we can't,' explained Trot in answer. "'We don't want to stay here a bit, but I don't see how we can get away.' "'You can go back into the hole you came from.' Cap'n Bill shook his head. Trot shuddered at the thought. The Ark laughed aloud. "'You may be king here,' the creature said to Pessim. But we intend to run this island to suit ourselves, for we are three and you are one, and the balance of power lies with us." The little man made no reply to this, although as they walked back to the shed his face wore its fiercest scowl. Cap'n Bill gathered a lot of leaves and, assisted by Trot, prepared two nice beds in opposite corners of the shed. Pessim slept in a hammock, which he swung between two trees. They required no dishes, as all their food consisted of fruits and nuts picked from the trees. They made no fire, for the weather was warm and there was nothing to cook. The shed had no furniture other than the rude stool which the little man was accustomed to sit upon. He called it his throne, and they let him keep it. So they lived upon the island for three days, and rested and ate to their heart's content. Still, they were not at all happy in this life because of Pessim. He continually found fault with them in all that they did, and all their surroundings. He could see nothing good or admirable in all the world, and Trot soon came to understand why the little man's former neighbors had brought him to this island and left him there all alone, so he could not annoy anyone. It was their misfortune that they had been led to this place by their adventures, for often they would have preferred the company of a wild beast to that of Pessim. On the fourth day a happy thought came to the Ark. They had all been racking their brains for a possible way to leave the island and discussing this or that method. 
without finding a plan that was practical. Cap'n Bill had said he could make a raft of the trees big enough to float them all, but he had no tools except for those two pocket-knives, and it was not possible to chop down trees with such small blades. "'And suppose we got afloat on the ocean,' said Trot. "'Where would we drift to, and how long would it take us to get there?' Cap'n Bill was forced to admit he didn't know. The Ark could fly away from the island any time it wished to, but the queer creature was loyal to his new friends, and refused to leave them in such a lonely, forsaken place. It was when Trot urged him to go, on this fourth morning, that the Ark had his happy thought. "'I will go,' said he, "'if you two will agree to ride upon my back.' "'We're too heavy. You might drop us,' observed Cap'n Bill. "'Yes, you are rather heavy for a long journey,' acknowledged the Ork. "'But you might eat of those lavender berries and become so small that I could carry you with ease.' This quaint suggestion startled Trot, and she looked gravely at the speaker while she considered it. But Cap'n Bill gave a scornful snort and asked, huh, "'What would become of us afterward? We wouldn't be much good if we were some two or three inches high. No, Mr. Ork, I'd rather stay here as I am than be a hop o' my thumb somewhere else.' "'Why couldn't you take some of the dark purple berries along with you, to eat after we had reached our destination?' inquired the Ork. "'Then you could grow big again whenever you pleased.' Trot clapped her hands with delight. "'That's it!' she exclaimed. "'Let's do it, Cap'n Bill.' The old sailor did not like the idea at first, but he thought it over carefully, and the more he thought, the better it seemed. "'How could you manage to carry us if we were so small?' he asked. "'I could put you in a paper bag and tie the bag around my neck.' "'But we haven't a paper bag,' objected Trot. The Ark looked at her. "'There's your sunbonnet,' it said presently, "'which is hollow in the middle and has two strings that you could tie around my neck.' Trot took off her sunbonnet and regarded it critically. "'Yes, it might easily hold both her and Cap'n Bill after they had eaten the lavender berries and been reduced in size.' She tied the strings around the Ark's neck, and the sunbonnet made a bag in which two tiny people might ride without danger of falling out. So she said, I believe we'll do it that way, Cap'n. Cap'n Bill groaned, but could make no special objection, except that the plan seemed to him quite dangerous, and dangerous in more ways than one. I think so myself, said Trot soberly. But nobody can stay alive without getting into danger sometimes. And danger doesn't mean getting hurt, Cap'n. It only means we might get hurt. So I guess we'll have to take the risk. Let's go and find the berries, said the Ork. They said nothing to Pessim, who was sitting on his stool and scowling dismally as he stared at the ocean, but started at once to seek the trees that bore the magic fruits. The Ark remembered very well where the lavender berries grew, and led his companions quickly to the spot. 
Cap'n Bill gathered two berries and placed them carefully in his pocket. Then they went around to the east side of the island and found the tree that bore the dark purple berries. "'I guess I'll take four of these,' said the sailor man. "'So in case one doesn't make us grow big, we can eat another.' "'Better take six, advised the Ark. "'It's well to be on the safe side, and I'm sure these trees grow nowhere else in all the world.' So Cap'n Bill gathered six of the purple berries, and with their precious fruit they returned to the shed to bid good-bye to Pessim. Perhaps they would not have granted the surly little man this courtesy, had they not wished to use him to tie the sunbonnet around the ark's neck. When Pessim learned they were about to leave him, he at first looked greatly pleased, but he suddenly recollected that nothing ought to please him, and so began to grumble about being left alone. "'We know it wouldn't suit you,' remarked Cap'n Bill. "'It didn't suit you to have us here, and it won't suit you to have us go away.' "'That is quite true,' admitted Pessim. "'I haven't been suited since I can remember, so it doesn't matter to me in the least whether you go or stay.' He was interested in their experiment, however, and willingly agreed to assist although he prophesied they would fall out of the sunbonnet on their way and be either drowned in the ocean or crushed upon some rocky shore. This uncheerful prospect did not daunt Trot, but it made Cap'n Bill quite nervous. "'I will eat my berry first, said Trot, as she placed her sunbonnet on the ground in such a manner that they could get into it. Then she ate the lavender berry and in a few seconds became so small that Cap'n Bill picked her up gently with his thumb and one finger and placed her in the middle of the sunbonnet. Then he placed beside her the six purple berries, each one being about as big as the tiny Trot's head, and all preparations being now made, the old sailor ate his lavender berry and became very small, wooden leg and all. Cap'n Bill stumbled sadly in trying to climb over the edge of the sunbonnet and pitched in beside Trot head first, which caused the unhappy Pessim to laugh with glee. Then the king of the island picked up the sunbonnet so rudely that he shook its occupants like peas in a pod and tied it by means of its strings securely around the ark's neck. "'I hope, Trot, you sewed those strings on tight,' said Cap'n Bill anxiously. "'Why, we are not very heavy, you know,' she replied. "'So I think the stitches will hold. But be careful and not crush the berries, Cap'n.' "'One is jammed already,' he said, looking at them. "'Already?' asked the ark. "'Yes,' they cried together. And Pessim came close to the sunbonnet and called out to them, "'You'll be smashed or drowned, I'm sure you will. But farewell, and good riddance to you.' The Ark was provoked by this unkind speech, so he turned his tail upon the little man and made it revolve so fast that the rush of air tumbled Pessim over backwards 
and he rolled several times upon the ground before he could stop himself and sit up. By that time the ark was high in the air, and speeding swiftly over the ocean. End of Chapter 5 Chapter 6 The Flight of the Midgets Cap'n Bill and Trot rode very comfortably in the sunbonnet. The motion was quite steady, for they weighed so little that the Ark flew without effort. Yet they were both somewhat nervous about their future fate, and could not help wishing they were safe on land and their natural size again. "'You're terrible small, Trot,' remarked Cap'n Bill, looking at his companion. "'Same to you, Cap'n,' she said with a laugh. "'But as long as we have the purple berries, we needn't worry about our size.' "'In a circus,' mused the old man, "'we'd be curiosities. But in a sunbonnet high up in the air, sailing over a big unknown ocean, there ain't no word in my bookshinery to describe us.' "'Why, we're midgets, that's all,' said the little girl. The ark flew silently for a long time. The slight swaying of the sunbonnet made Cap'n Bill drowsy, and he began to doze. Trot, however, was wide awake, and after enduring the monotonous journey as long as she was able, she called out, "'Don't you see any land anywhere, Mr. Ork?' "'Not yet,' he answered. "'This is a big ocean, and I've no idea in which direction the nearest land to that island lies. But if I keep flying in a straight line, I'm sure to reach some place sometime.' That seemed reasonable, so the little people in the sunbonnet remained as patient as possible. That is, Cap'n Bill dozed, and Trot tried to remember her geography lessons so she could figure out what land they were likely to arrive at. For hours and hours the Ark flew steadily, keeping to the straight line and searching with his eyes the horizon of the ocean for land. Cap'n Bill was fast asleep and snoring, and Trot had laid her head on his shoulder to rest it, when suddenly the Ark exclaimed, "'There! I've caught a glimpse of land at last!' At this announcement they roused themselves. Cap'n Bill stood up and tried to peek over the edge of the sunbonnet. "'What does it look like?' he inquired. "'Looks like another island,' said the Ark but I can judge it better in a minute or two. I don't care much for islands since we visited that other one, declared Trot. Soon the Ark made another announcement. It is surely an island, and a little one, too, said he. But I won't stop, because I see a much bigger land straight ahead of it. That's right, approved Cap'n Bill. The bigger the land, the better it will suit us. It's almost a continent, continued the Ark after a brief silence, during which he did not decrease the speed of his flight. I wonder if it can be Orkland, the place I've been seeking so long. I hope not, whispered Trot to Cap'n Bill, so softly that the Ark could not hear her for I shouldn't like to be in a country where only orcs live. This one orc isn't a bad companion, 
But a lot of him wouldn't be much fun. After a few more minutes of flying, the Ork called out in a sad voice, No, this is not my country. It's a place I have never seen before, although I have wandered far and wide. It seems to be all mountains and deserts and green valleys and queer cities and lakes and rivers mixed up in a very puzzling way. Most countries are like that, commented Cap'n Bill. Are you going to land? Pretty soon, was the reply. There is a mountain peak just ahead of me. What do you say to our landing on that? All right agreed the sailor-man, for both he and Trot were getting tired of riding in the sunbonnet and longed to set foot on solid ground again. So in a few minutes the Ork slowed down his speed and then came to a stop so easily that they were scarcely jarred at all. Then the creature squatted down until the sunbonnet rested on the ground and began trying to unfasten with its claws the knotted strings. This proved a very clumsy task, because the strings were tied at the back of the ork's neck, just where his claws would not easily reach. After much fumbling, he said, I'm afraid I can't let you out, and there is no one near to help me. This was at first discouraging, but after a little thought, Cap'n Bill said, If you don't mind, Trot, I can cut a slit in your sunbonnet with my knife. Do, she replied. The slit won't matter, cause I can sew it up afterwards when I am big. So Cap'n Bill got out his knife, which was just as small in proportion as he was, and after considerable trouble managed to cut a long slit in the sunbonnet. First he squeezed through the opening himself, and then helped Trot to get out. When they stood on firm ground again, their first act was to begin eating the dark purple berries which they had brought with them. Two of these Trot had guarded carefully during the long journey by holding them in her lap, for their safety meant much to the tiny people. "'I'm not very hungry,' said the little girl as she handed a berry to Cap'n Bill. "'But hunger doesn't count in this case. It's like taking medicine to make you well.' so we must manage to eat them somehow or other. But the berries proved quite pleasant to taste, and as Cap'n Bill and Trot nibbled at their edges, their forms began to grow in size, slowly but steadily. The bigger they grew, the easier it was for them to eat the berries, which, of course, became smaller to them, and by the time the fruit was eaten, our friends had regained their natural size. The little girl was greatly relieved when she found herself as large as she had ever been, and Cap'n Bill shared her satisfaction, for although they had seen the effect of the berries on the Ark, they had not been sure the magic fruit would have the same effect on human beings, or that the magic would work in any other country than that in which the berries grew. "'What shall we do with the other four berries?' asked Trot as she picked up her sunbonnet, marveling that she had ever been small enough to ride in it. "'They're no good to us now, are they, Cap'n?' "'I'm not so sure as to that,' he replied. 
If they were eaten by one who had never eaten the lavender berries, they might have no effect at all. But then, contrary-wise, they might. One of them has got badly jammed, so I'll throw it away. But the other three I believe I'll carry with me. They're magic things, you know, and may come handy to us sometime. He now searched in his big pockets and drew out a small wooden box with a sliding cover. The sailor had kept an assortment of nails of various sizes in this box, but those he now dumped loosely into his pocket, and in the box placed the three sound purple berries. When this important matter was attended to, they found time to look about them and see what sort of place the Ark had landed them in. End of Chapter 6 Chapter 7 The Bumpy Man The mountain on which they had alighted was not a barren waste, but had on its sides patches of green grass, some bushes, a few slender trees, and, here and there, masses of tumbled rocks. The sides of the slope seemed rather steep, but with care one could climb up or down them with ease and safety. The view from where they now stood showed pleasant valleys and fertile hills lying below the heights. Trot thought she saw some houses of queer shapes scattered about the lower landscape, and there were moving dots that might be people or animals, yet were too far away for her to see them clearly. Not far from the place where they stood was the top of the mountain, which seemed to be flat, so the Ark proposed to his companions that he would fly up and see what was there. "'That's a good idea,' said Trot, "'cause it's getting toward evening and we'll have to find a place to sleep.' The Ark had not been gone more than a few minutes when they saw him appear on the edge of the top which was nearest them. "'Come on up!' he called. So Trot and Cap'n Bill began to ascend the steep slope, and it did not take them long to reach the place where the Ark awaited them. Their first view of the mountaintop pleased them very much. It was a level space of wider extent than they had guessed, and upon it grew grass of a brilliant green color. In the very center stood a house built of stone and very neatly constructed. No one was in sight, but smoke was coming from the chimney, so with one accord all three began walking toward the house. "'I wonder,' said Trot, "'in what country we are, and if it's very far from my home in California.' "'Can't say as to that, partner,' answered Cap'n Bill. "'But I'm mighty certain we've come a long way since we struck that whirlpool.' "'Yes,' she agreed with a sigh. It must be miles and miles. Distance means nothing, said the Ork. I have flown pretty much all over the world trying to find my home, and it is astonishing how many little countries there are hidden away in the cracks and corners of this big globe of Earth. If one travels he may find some new country at every turn, and a good many of them have never yet been put upon the maps. "'Perhaps this is one of them,' suggested Trot. They reached the house after a brisk walk, and Cap'n Bill knocked upon the door. It was at once opened by a rugged-looking man, 
who had bumps all over him, as Trot afterward declared. There were bumps on his head, bumps on his body, and bumps on his arms and legs and hands. Even his fingers had bumps on the ends of them. For dress he wore an old gray suit of fantastic design, which fitted him very badly because of the bumps it covered but could not conceal. But the bumpy man's eyes were kind and twinkling in expression, and as soon as he saw his visitors he bowed low and said in a rather bumpy voice, "'Happy day! Come in and shut the door, for it grows cool when the sun goes down. Winter is now upon us.' "'Why, it isn't cold a bit outside,' said Trot. "'So it can't be winter yet.' "'You will change your mind about that in a little while.' declared the bumpy man. My bumps always tell me the state of the weather, and they feel just now as if a snowstorm was coming this way. But make yourself at home, strangers. Supper is nearly ready, and there is food enough for all. Inside the house there was but one large room, simply but comfortably furnished. It had benches, a table, and a fireplace all made of stone. On the hearth a pot was bubbling and steaming, and Trot thought it had a rather nice smell. The visitors seated themselves upon the benches, except the Ark, which squatted by the fireplace, and the bumpy man began stirring the kettle briskly. "'May I ask what country this is, sir?' inquired Captain Bill. "'Goodness me! Fruit cake and applesauce! Don't you know where you are?' asked the bumpy man, as he stopped stirring and looked at the speaker in surprise. "'No,' admitted Cap'n Bill. "'We've just arrived.' "'Lost your way?' questioned the bumpy man. "'Not exactly,' said Cap'n Bill. "'We didn't have any way to lose.' "'Ah!' said the bumpy man, nodding his bumpy head. "'This,' he announced in a solemn, impressive voice, is the famous land of Mo. Oh! exclaimed the sailor and the girl, both in one breath. But never having heard of the land of Mo, they were no wiser than before. I thought that would startle you, remarked the bumpy man, well pleased, as he resumed his stirring. The Ark watched him a while in silence, and then asked, Who may you be? Me? answered the bumpy man. Haven't you heard of me? Ginger, bread, and lemon juice. <laughs> I'm known far and wide as the Mountain Ear. They all received this information in silence at first, for they were trying to think what he could mean. Finally Trot mustered up courage to ask, What is a Mountain Ear, please? For answer the man turned around and faced them waving the spoon with which he had been stirring the kettle as he recited the following verses in a sing-song tone of voice. Here's a mountain hard of hearing that's sad-hearted and needs cheering. So my duty is to listen to all sounds that nature makes so the hill won't get uneasy, get too coughing, or get sneezy, for this monster bump when frightened is quite liable to quakes. You can hear a bell that's ringing, I can feel some people singing, but a mountain is insensible of what goes on, and so, 
When I hear a blizzard blowing, or it's raining hard or snowing, I tell it to the mountain, and the mountain seems to know. Thus I benefit all people while I'm living on this steeple, for I keep the mountain steady so my neighbors all may thrive. With my listening and my shouting, I prevent this mount from spouting, and that makes me so important that I'm glad that I'm alive. When he had finished these lines of verse, the bumpy man turned again to resume his stirring. The Ark laughed softly, and Cap'n Bill whistled to himself, and Trot made up her mind that the mountain ear must be a little crazy. But the bumpy man seemed satisfied that he had explained his position fully, and presently he placed four stone plates upon the table, and then lifted the kettle from the fire and poured some of its contents on each of the plates. Cap'n Bill and Trot at once approached the table, for they were hungry, but when she examined her plate, the little girl exclaimed, "'Why, it's molasses candy!' "'To be sure,' answered the bumpy man with a pleasant smile. "'Eat it quick while it's hot, for it cools very quickly this winter weather.' With this he seized a stone spoon, and began putting the hot molasses candy into his mouth, while the others watched him in astonishment. "'Doesn't it burn you?' asked the girl. "'No, indeed,' said he. "'Why don't you eat? Aren't you hungry?' "'Yes,' she replied, "'I'm hungry, but we usually eat our candy when it's cold and hard. We always pull molasses candy before we eat it.' Ha, ha, ha! laughed the mountaineer. What a funny idea! Where in the world did you come from? California, she said. California? Pooh! There isn't any such place. I've heard of every place in the land of Mo, but I never before heard of California. It isn't in the land of Mo, she explained. Then it isn't worth talking about, declared the bumpy man helping himself again from the steaming kettle, for he had been eating all the time he talked. "'For my part,' sighed Cap'n Bill, "'I'd like a decent square meal once more just by way of variety. In the last place there was nothing but fruit to eat, and here it's worse, for there's nothing but candy.' "'Molasses candy isn't so bad,' said Trot. "'Mine's nearly cool enough to pull already.' Wait a bit, Cap'n, and you can eat it." A little later she was able to gather the candy from the stone plate and began to work it back and forth with her hands. The mountaineer was greatly amazed at this and watched her closely. It was really good candy and pulled beautifully, so that Trot was soon ready to cut it into chunks for eating. Cap'n Bill condescended to eat one or two pieces and the Ark ate several, but the Bumpy Man refused to try it. Trot finished the plate of candy herself, and then asked for a drink of water. "'Water?' said the Mountain Ear wonderingly. "'What is that?' "'Something to drink. Don't you have water in Mo?' "'None that I ever heard of,' said he. "'But I can give you some fresh lemonade. I caught it in a jar the last time it rained which was only day before yesterday. "'Oh, does it rain lemonade here?' she inquired. "'Always, and it is very refreshing and healthful.' 
With this he brought from a cupboard a stone jar and a dipper, and the girl found it very nice lemonade indeed. Cap'n Bill liked it too, but the Ork would not touch it. "'If there is no water in this country, I cannot stay here for long,' the creature declared. "'Water means life to man and beast and bird.' "'There must be water in lemonade,' said Trot. "'Yes,' answered the Ork. "'I suppose so. But there are other things in it, too, and they spoil the good water.' The day's adventures had made our wanderers tired. So the Bumpy Man brought them some blankets in which they rolled themselves, and then lay down before the fire, which their host kept alive with fuel all through the night. Trot wakened several times, and found the mountaineer always alert and listening intently for the slightest sound. But the little girl could hear no sound at all, except the snores of Cap'n Bill. End of Chapter 7 Chapter 8 Button Bright is Lost and Found Again "'Wake up! Wake up!' called the voice of the Bumpy Man. "'Didn't I tell you winter was coming? I could hear it coming with my left ear, and the proof is that it is now snowing hard outside.' "'Is it?' said Trot, rubbing her eyes and creeping out of her blanket. "'Where I live in California.' I have never seen snow, except far away on the tops of high mountains. "'Well, this is the top of a high mountain,' returned the bumpy one. "'And for that reason we get our heaviest snowfalls right here.' The little girl went to the window and looked out. The air was filled with falling white flakes, so large in size and so queer in form that she was puzzled. "'Are you certain this is snow?' she asked. To be sure. I must get my snow shovel and turn out to shovel a path. Would you like to come with me? Yes, she said, and followed the bumpy man out when he opened the door. Then she exclaimed, Why, it isn't cold a bit. Of course not, replied the man. It was cold last night before the snowstorm, but snow when it falls is always crisp and warm. Trot gathered a handful of it. Why, it's popcorn, she cried. Certainly. All snow is popcorn. What did you expect it to be? Popcorn is not snow in my country. Well, it is the only snow we have in the land of Mo. So you may as well make the best of it, said he a little impatiently. I'm not responsible for the absurd things that happen in your country. And when you're in Mo, you must do as the Mo men do. Eat some of our snow, and you will find it is good. The only fault I find with our snow is that we get too much of it at times. With this the bumpy man set to work shoveling a path, and he was so quick and industrious that he piled up the popcorn in great banks on either side of the trail that led to the mountain top from the plains below. While he worked, Trot ate popcorn and found it crisp and slightly warm, as well as nicely salted and buttered. Presently Cap'n Bill came out of the house and joined her. "'What's this?' he asked. "'Mo snow,' said she. "'But it isn't real snow, although it falls from the sky. It's popcorn.' 
Cap'n Bill tasted it. Then he sat down in the path and began to eat. The Ork came out and pecked away with his bill as fast as it could. They all liked popcorn, and they all were hungry this morning. Meantime the flakes of mo-snow came down so fast that the number of them almost darkened the air. The bumpy man was now shoveling quite a distance down the mountainside, while the path behind him rapidly filled up with fresh-fallen popcorn. Suddenly Trot heard him call out, "'Goodness gracious! Mince pie and pancakes! Here's someone buried in the snow!' She ran toward him at once, and the others followed, wading through the corn and crunching it underneath their feet. The mo-snow was pretty deep where the bumpy man was shoveling, and from beneath a great bank of it he had uncovered a pair of feet. "'Dear me, someone has been lost in the storm,' said Cap'n Bill. "'I hope he is still alive. Uh, let's pull him out and see.' He took hold of one foot, and the bumpy man took hold of the other. They both pulled, and out from the heap of popcorn came a little boy. He was dressed in a brown velvet jacket and knickerbockers, with brown stockings, buckled shoes, and a blue shirtwaist that had frills down its front. When drawn from the heap, the boy was chewing a mouthful of popcorn, and both his hands were full of it. So at first he couldn't speak to his rescuers, but lay quite still and eyed them calmly, until he had swallowed his mouthful. Then he said, "'Get my cap!' and stuffed more popcorn into his mouth. While the bumpy man began shoveling into the corn bank to find the boy's cap, Trot was laughing joyfully, and Cap'n Bill had a broad grin on his face. The Ark looked from one to another and asked, "'Who is this stranger?' "'Why, it's Button Bright, of course,' answered Trot. "'If anyone ever finds a lost boy, he can make up his mind it's Button Bright. But how he ever came to be lost in this far country is more than I can make out." "'Where does he belong?' inquired the Ork. "'His home used to be in Philadelphia, I think. But I'm quite sure Button Bright doesn't belong anywhere.' "'That's right,' said the boy, nodding his head as he swallowed the second mouthful. "'Everyone belongs somewhere,' remarked the Ork. Not me, insisted Button Bright. I'm halfway round the world from Philadelphia, and I've lost my magic umbrella that used to carry me anywhere. Stands to reason that if I can't get back, I haven't any home. But I don't care much. This is a pretty good country, Trot. I've had lots of fun here. By this time the mountain ear had secured the boy's cap and was listening to the conversation with much interest. "'It seems you know this poor snow-covered castaway,' he said. "'Yes, indeed,' answered Trot. "'We made a journey together to Sky Island once, and were good friends.' "'Well, then I'm glad I saved his life,' said the bumpy man. "'Much obliged, Mr. Nobbs,' said Button Bright, sitting up and staring at him. "'But I don't believe you saved anything except some popcorn that I might have eaten had you not disturbed me.' It was nice and warm in that bank of popcorn, and there was plenty to eat. What made you dig me out? And what makes you so bumpy everywhere?" 
"'As for the bumps,' replied the man, looking at himself with much pride, "'I was born with them, and I suspect they were a gift from the fairies. They make me look rugged and big, like the mountain I serve.' "'All right,' said Button Bright, and began eating popcorn again. It had stopped snowing now, and great flocks of birds were gathering around the mountainside, eating the popcorn with much eagerness and scarcely noticing the people at all. There were birds of every size and color, most of them having gorgeous feathers and plumes. "'Just look at them!' exclaimed the Ork scornfully. "'Aren't they dreadful creatures, all covered with feathers?' "'I think they're beautiful,' said Trot and this made the Ork so indignant that he went back into the house and sulked. Button Bright reached out his hand and caught a big bird by the leg. At once it rose into the air, and it was so strong that it nearly carried the little boy off. He let go the leg in a hurry, and the bird flew down again and began to eat of the popcorn, not being frightened in the least. This gave Cap'n Bill an idea. He felt in his pocket and drew out several pieces of stout string. Moving very quietly, so as not to alarm the birds, he crept up to several of the biggest ones and tied cords around their legs, thus making them prisoners. The birds were so intent on their eating that they did not notice what had happened to them, and when about twenty had been captured in this manner, Cap'n Bill tied the ends of all the strings together and fastened them to a huge stone, so they could not escape. The Bumpy Man watched the old sailor's actions with much curiosity. "'The birds will be quiet until they've eaten up all the snow,' he said. "'But then they will want to fly away to their homes. Uh, tell me, sir, what will the poor things do when they find they can't fly?' "'It may worry em a little,' replied Captain Bill. But they're not going to be hurt if they take it easy and behave themselves. Our friends had all made a good breakfast of the delicious popcorn, and now they walked toward the house again. Button Bright walked beside Trot and held her hand in his, because they were old friends, and he liked the little girl very much. The boy was not so old as Trot, and small as she was, he was half a head shorter in height. The most remarkable thing about Button Bright was that he was always quiet and composed, whatever happened, and nothing was ever able to astonish him. Trot liked him because he was not rude and never tried to plague her. Captain Bill liked him because he had found the boy cheerful and brave at all times, and willing to do anything he was asked to do. When they came to the house, Trot sniffed the air and asked, "'Don't I smell perfume?' "'I think you do,' said the Bumpy Man. "'You smell violets, and that proves there is a breeze springing up from the south. All our winds and breezes are perfumed, and for that reason we are glad to have them blow in our direction. The south breeze always has a violet odor.' The north breeze has the fragrance of wild roses, the east breeze is perfumed with lilies of the valley, and the west wind with lilac blossoms. So we need no weather vane to tell us which way the wind is blowing. We 
only have to smell the perfume, and it informs us at once. Inside the house they found the Ark, and Button Bright regarded the strange bird-like creature with curious interest. After examining it closely for a time, he asked, Which way does your tail whirl? Either way, said the Ark. Button Bright put out his hand and tried to spin it. Don't do that, exclaimed the Ark. Why not? inquired the boy. Because it happens to be my tail, and I reserve the right to whirl it myself, explained the Ork. Let's go out and fly somewhere, proposed Button Bright. I want to see how the tail works. Not now, said the Ork. I appreciate your interest in me, which I fully deserve. But I only fly when I am going somewhere, and if I got started I might not stop. That reminds me, remarked Cap'n Bill, to ask you, friend Ark, how are we going to get away from here? Get away? exclaimed the bumpy man. Why don't you stay here? You won't find any nicer place than Mo. Have you been anywhere else, sir? No, I can't say I have admitted the mountain ear. Then permit me to say you're no judge, declared Cap'n Bill. But you haven't answered my question, friend Ark. How are we to get away from this mountain? The Ark reflected a while before he answered, I might carry one of you, the boy or the girl, upon my back, said he, but three big people are more than I can manage although I have carried two of you for a short distance. You ought not to have eaten those purple berries so soon." "'Perhaps we did make a mistake,' Cap'n Bill acknowledged. "'Or we might have brought some of those lavender berries with us, instead of so many purple ones,' suggested Trot regretfully. Cap'n Bill made no reply to this statement, which showed he did not fully agree with the little girl. But he fell into deep thought with wrinkled brows, and finally he said, If those purple berries would make anything grow bigger, whether it had eaten the lavender ones or not, I could find a way out of our troubles. They did not understand this speech, and looked at the old sailor as if expecting him to explain what he meant. But just then a chorus of shrill cries rose from outside. "'Hey, hey, let me go, let me go!' the voices seemed to say. "'Why are we insulted in this way? Mountaineer, come and help us!' Trot ran to the window and looked out. "'It's the bird you caught, Cap'n,' she said. "'I didn't know they could talk.' "'Oh, yes, all the birds in Mo are educated to talk,' said the bumpy man. Then he looked at Cap'n Bill uneasily and added, "'Won't you let the poor things go?' "'I'll see,' replied the sailor, and walked out to where the birds were fluttering and complaining because the strings would not allow them to fly away. "'Listen to me,' he cried, and at once they became still. "'We three people who are strangers in your land want to go to some other country.' and we want three of you birds to carry us there. We know we are asking a great favor, but it's the only way we can think of, except walking, and I'm not much good at that because I've a wooden leg. 
Besides, Trot and Button Bright are too small to undertake a long and tiresome journey. Now tell me, which three of you birds will consent to carry us? The birds looked at one another as if greatly astonished. Then one of them replied, You must be crazy, old man. Not one of us is big enough to fly with even the smallest of your party. I'll fix the matter of size, promised Cap'n Bill. If three of you will agree to carry us, I'll make you big and strong enough to do it, so it won't worry you a bit. The birds considered this gravely. Living in a magic country, they had no doubt that the strange one-legged man could do what he said. After a little, one of them asked, If you make us big, will we stay big always? I think so, replied Cap'n Bill. They chattered a while among themselves, and then the bird that had first spoken said, I'll go, for one. So will I, said another, and after a pause a third said, I'll go, too. Perhaps more would have volunteered, for it seemed that for some reason they all longed to be bigger than they were, but three were enough for Cap'n Bill's purpose, and so he promptly released all the others who immediately flew away. The three that remained were cousins, and all were of the same brilliant plumage, and in size about as large as eagles. When Trot questioned them, she found they were quite young, having only abandoned their nests a few weeks before. They were strong young birds with clear, brave eyes, and the little girl decided they were the most beautiful of all the feathered creatures she had ever seen. Cap'n Bill now took from his pocket the wooden box with the sliding cover, and removed the three purple berries, which were still in good condition. "'Eat these,' he said, and gave one to each of the birds. They obeyed, finding the fruit very pleasant to taste. In a few seconds they began to grow in size, and grew so fast that Trot feared they would never stop. But they finally did stop growing and then they were much larger than the ark, and nearly the size of full-grown ostriches. Cap'n Bill was much pleased by this result. "'You can carry us now, all right,' said he. The birds strutted around with pride, highly pleased with their immense size. "'I don't see, though,' said Trot doubtfully, "'how we're going to ride on their backs without falling off.' "'We're not going to ride on their backs,' answered Cap'n Bill. "'I'm going to make swings for us to ride in.' He then asked the bumpy man for some rope, but the man had no rope. He had, however, an old suit of gray clothes, which he gladly presented to Cap'n Bill, who cut the cloth into strips and twisted it, so that it was almost as strong as rope. With this material he attached to each bird a swing that dangled below its feet, and Button Bright made a trial flight in one of them to prove that it was safe and comfortable. When all this had been arranged, one of the birds asked, "'Where do you wish us to take you?' "'Why, just follow the Ark,' said Cap'n Bill. "'He will be our leader, and wherever the Ark flies, you are to fly. And wherever the Ark lands, you are to land. Is that satisfactory?' The birds declared it was quite satisfactory, so Cap'n Bill took counsel with the Ark. 
On our way here, said that peculiar creature, I noticed a broad, sandy desert at the left of me, on which was no living thing. Then we'd better keep away from it, replied the sailor. Not so, insisted the Ark. I have found on my travels that the most pleasant countries often lie in the midst of deserts. So I think it would be wise for us to fly over this desert and discover what lies beyond it. For in the direction we came from lies the ocean, as we well know, and beyond here is this strange land of Mo, which we do not care to explore. On one side, as we can see from this mountain, is a broad expanse of plain, and on the other the desert. From my part, I vote for the desert. What do you say, Trot? inquired Cap'n Bill. It's all the same to me, she replied. No one thought of asking Button Bright's opinion, so it was decided to fly over the desert. They bade good-bye to the bumpy man and thanked him for his kindness and hospitality. Then they seated themselves in the swings, one for each bird, and told the Ark to start away and they would follow. The whirl of the Ark's tail astonished the birds at first, but after he had gone a short distance they rose in the air, carrying their passengers easily, and flew with strong, regular strokes of their great wings in the wake of their leader. Oleander Book Club edited produced by D.B. Spitzer and Oleander, Oregon. Check us out at pgttcm.com. Hey everyone, that was part two of The Scarecrow of Oz. Hey, uh, just something I wanted to say. Residents of Oleander, if your scarecrows are going missing too, uh, talk to the sheriff. Apparently it's been going all over town. We're not quite sure what's going on, but hey. Weird stuff's afoot in Oleander yet again. Scarecrow's going missing. I don't know. All right. Uh, up next, I'm not quite sure, but it's something in a big red cassette tape. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Today on Music of Oleander, we check into local legend Jimmy No Legs Jimahan and find out the inspiration behind his music.